If you've got your Bibles, turn with me. Uh, we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to try to move quickly. There's really just two big ideas uh, in this sermon, but I want to set it up by uh, going to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then we're going to go to Mark chapter 7. And uh, some of you are probably wondering, why is there a watermelon on the stage? It's because we're incredibly creative around here, and we think of so many fun ways to teach the Bible. Uh, just so you know, if you want watermelon, please come up and get it after church. I will not be taking it home. Second Timothy chapter 3. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. So uh, let's show our four points graphic. We are in our vision series. Last week we talked about... Uh, love. And this is our, these four points are our disciple strategy. Jesus told us to make disciples. How do we do that? We start with love, not us loving God, but God loving us. We start with the gospel itself. God did everything for us. He came all the way to where we are. And what we learned in Acts last week is uh, God's people gather together in large group settings like we do on Sunday mornings because Jesus is building his church, is gathered together people, uh, and we proclaim and remind ourselves of this glorious gospel that we have. But we don't stay there. We move. This is a attractionary process. We want to move people through stages of discipleship. Obviously, the first stage is understanding the gospel itself, but we want to move from love, God loves us, to devotion, we love God. How many of you have fallen in love? Right? When you fall in love, you put a ring on a finger, don't you? Uh, there's some guys in here who can't wait to get rings on fingers. Uh, when we love someone, we de devote ourselves to them. We give them, we don't hold anything back from them. We give them everything, the whole enchilada, heart, body, mind, soul. Uh, we devote to those who we love. Well, God's love, his gospel demands a response from us, and we call that devotion. It's, it's we love God back because he first loved us. Uh, I found this in my files, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get started in a second. But I just wanted to show this off. Um, most of you know nowadays, uh, for people who want to get connected to the church, we have link lunches, uh, different uh, Sundays after church. A link lunch is when we walk you through our four points, who we are as a church, how we uh, use scripture to make disciples, uh, teaching uh, people everything that Jesus teaches us. So we, we feed people so we can proclaim the gospel to them, but we used to not do that. We used to do something during the week called Fast Track, and this is the devotion piece for that Fast Track class that we used to do. And can you believe this? I mean, this thing is like 25 pages just awe. I, we start with prehistory, then we go into Israel and the incarnation. Uh, we got all kinds of good stuff in here. We talk about the difference between natural theology, historical theology, systematic theology, and biblical theology. I'm not going to do any of this today for you. You're welcome. But we are going to get serious here. Let's pray, and we'll get into 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
Father, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've already done today in people's lives. Thank you for what you're going to do now in people's lives. Lord Jesus, you truly build the house. Father, we can do nothing on our own, but you are faithful. You're faithful to your word. Lord Jesus, you came and did everything we could not. And we celebrate and worship you this morning. Help us understand your word. Help us understand how we can devote ourselves to you. That we get to devote ourselves to you. We don't save ourselves by devoting ourselves to you. But because you loved us, because you shared your gospel with us, we get to devote ourselves to you, to give you everything that we are and make much of your name in this world. Help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name every Christian said. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to start in a very familiar uh, verse this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. You hear us quote this all the time, but it's important for us in this context that we find ourselves in, in the 2024, this American church, we're, we're, we're living, we're, we don't live in a bubble, we don't live in a vacuum, we live in a time, we live in a day, we live in an age where we're awaiting Christ's return. And it's important for us to remember where we're living. It's important for us to remember how important Scripture is to us, why we need it so desperately. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture, all Scripture. We are going February, we're going to move into the Old Testament book of Zechariah. How many of you excited about that? Yeah, not a lot of churches are brave enough to tackle Zechariah. We're that crazy church, but here's what we know. Whether we do a good job or not, God's going to use his word, and it's all God-breathed, and it's, it's useful, it's helpful to us. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's his words, uh, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Why do we need scripture? Because we are going to get it wrong. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We have all, we're all going to get left to ourselves, left to our own devices, left to our own thoughts and mental faculties. We're going to make bad decisions. We're going to do things the wrong way. So why did God put this, this Bible together for us? So that we can have the correction that we need. So that we can uh, make right the wrong decisions that we do. If, if you're in the room and, and you would be honest and say this morning, yes, I make bad decisions all the time. I constantly goof up. Can I see your hands? Let me know I'm not alone. Praise God. We're a Bible church. We all know we're sinners in need of a Savior. Now, if you didn't raise your hand and you're sitting by someone you're married to, <laughs> you may not have wanted to raise your hand, but they know you are imperfect. 
It's, it's our famous saying around here. We, we, we love in our marriages to say, I am part of the problem. We are all imperfect people. God gives us his word to correct us, to encourage us, to build us up. We need God's word. It's why we're going to open. We devote ourselves back to God. We love God. And we devote ourselves to everything that comes out of his mouth. It's how we show him. It's how we uh, tell him, I do love you. I do care about you. I, I want to do what you say. I know you have better plans for my life than I'll ever come up with. I want to live the way that you say I should live so that I can be blessed and flourish on planet earth because God created us. He knows how blessing and flourishing come, amen? And it's all right. What a gift we have. It's all right here for us. It's all breathed out by God so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work that he calls us to do. And God does call them. Aren't you glad he uses people? He doesn't have to, but he uses people, people just like you and people just like me. This is what we're studying this morning. But watch, he goes on into chapter 4. And again, this is, this is something that if you've been around a while, you've heard us quote, you've, you've heard us uh, talk about. And it's so important because we forget and we leak Warnings like this are found in almost every book of the New Testament. The only book I don't think there's a warning about a false teacher or false prophets or people who don't want to listen to God's word anymore. I think the only place is Philemon, which is a, a book of instruction that Paul writes to a single person. There's a church meeting in his house. Every other, all four Gospels, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 in a second. Jesus warns against false brothers. Paul in every, I mean, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, warning, 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 warning. And we need to take these warnings seriously. And not just Paul, but Peter in 1st and 2nd Peter. He warns against false brothers. He warns against false teaching. John in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and in Revelation warns against uh, listening to things that are untrue. That's why we need to breathe out word of God. Paul tells Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you now that we have the full image of God incarnate, that we have seen him, we have heard him. Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again. So in light of this, Timothy, I charge you. He doesn't, he doesn't make a, uh, he doesn't say it would be a good idea if you did. He charges, this is your job, Timothy, at this church in Ephesus. This is what you have to do. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Why is it every Sunday we open this book? Because it's what we are called. It's how we grow. It's how we devote ourselves to God and love him. Uh, because he first loved us. Preach the word in season, out of season. Be ready 
to reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Timothy, you have everything you need right here. Preach the word. For the time is coming. And the time has come. When people will not endure sound teaching. Do you remember when you knew you couldn't trust what you read on the internet? I mean, do you, you remember when the internet came out and the AOL and boo? Can you believe we lived at that time? But there was something we knew for like the first five or six years of having the internet. Everybody knew you can't trust anything you read on there. People would just get on there and say whatever they want. But things have changed in the last 10, 15 years. People actually get online and whatever they read about that mole that's on their arm with the two hairs growing out of it, they'll believe anything a website says. Oh, that's, that's can't. You're going to be dead in 47 minutes. Start your clock. I just believe anything's out there. And we've heard this word misinformation. There's so much bad information, false information. I just saw this past week. Did anybody see uh, Fauci's little uh, secret Congress meeting where he basically said, oh, yeah, that six-foot rule, yeah, we just made that up. (laughs) So follow the science that we're making up as we go. So much. Why not 10 feet? Why not 12 feet? Right? They just picked a number out of a hat and said, let's go with it. So much out there, and we're susceptible to all this stuff that everybody says, well, this is true, this is true, this is true. There is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Listen, at the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, He had given everything that his apostles needed to know so that they could write it down for our benefit. There was sound teaching. In fact, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy, hold fast the sound teaching that you've been given. In the first century, there was already sound teaching, the gospel itself. We've had it all this time. Some people don't love our gospel. Some people don't love our Lord, and they're not going to endure sound teaching. But in having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We have an entire section of self-help books and mantras, and maybe you're reading a self-help book right now, and it's helping you. Praise God for the help. I've read a lot of those books because I needed a lot of help. But how many of you know what's better than self-help? God help. God's the only one that can save a sinner. God's the only, you want to change some behavior or some habitual thing you've got going on in your life? Trust the Lord Jesus. Honor his word. Memorize his scripture. Uh, Back when I was a young man wrestling with all kinds of of temptations, I created a little stack of note cards and I just memorized scripture. Scripture like uh, in 2 Timothy 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And I would just have that stack. And I would just go one after the other. And and Sarah found that stack uh, the other day. And she sat me down in front of the kids to see how many, about 60 uh, 
60 scriptures. So she was trying to, she was trying to make me look stupid in front of my kids. But she'll tell you, I, I remember almost, that's what happens when you get God's word in your heart, man. It stays with you. It helps you. It leads you. It guides you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got this gift. Some people don't want the gift. Some people are not going to listen to, to how a family is supposed to look. Some people aren't going to listen to how you follow the Lord in life because they want to do their own thing. There's a time coming. People won't endure, but they're going to accumulate for people that are going to tell them exactly what they want. And it's a sad day and age we live in because you can go to a, there's not any Christian bookstores anymore, but you can go to a, a Christian book section in a Books a Million or in a Barnes and Noble. There's a book that claims to be a Christian book that will tell you anything you want to hear. False brothers, false teaching. It's why we got to stick so close because People want to hear what they want to hear. They want to do what they want to do. It's been our plague ever since the Garden of Eden when God said one thing, don't touch that fruit. And what's the next thing that happens? Eve's having a conversation with Satan while Adam passively sits there and listens. It's been our problem from the very beginning. We want to be our own gods. We don't want to listen to him. We want to do our own thing. That's why we need this correction. We need the rebuke. We need God to speak into our lives. Verse 4, they'll turn away from listening to the truth and they'll wander off into myths. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. I told myself I was going to shorten this sermon. I actually, this is the first Sunday I've ever fallen asleep in the office in between services. Sarah walked in to give me a kiss and... I was like, man, I, I just dozed off there for a second. So in my head, I was thinking, I'm going to make this a really short sermon so I can go lay down. But it looks like you're going to get the full thing. Can you believe a preacher would do that? They do it all the time. Don't let them fool you. Verse 15. And this is Jesus talking. So we've got... We've got Paul instructing Timothy. We got John instructing uh, the church in Ephesus. We, we got all these guys, but this is Jesus. This is who they got everything that they were teaching the churches from, Jesus himself. Remember, uh, throughout Scripture, we've read so much of the New Testament over the last 15 years together, but it's this constant reminder of, hey, we saw it in just 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not giving you what I've, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm giving to you what I have received from the Lord. That's what this Bible is. Beware of false prophets. Please hear me. There are people who will intentionally try to trick you. I don't know what they get out of it. I don't know why they exist, but they exist. Jesus says they exist. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Notice they don't come with a pitchfork and two horns sticking out of their head. No, they come walking the walk like Christians should, talking the talk, Christianese language. They don't look like bad brothers, but they're, they're false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. 
You know what I love about our church? Over the last many years, I've watched so many of you honor God with your lives. Honor God with your time. Honor God by serving others who are in need. I know so many are true because I can see the fruit that's hanging on the tree of their lives. And that's how you tell. You don't listen to, to Mr. Slander face or, or, or Mrs. Gossip Girl. That's not who you listen to to judge other people. No, you look at the fruit that's on the tree. Jesus says that's how to know whether it's a good tree or a bad tree. This is how we judge our grace. And don't you love Jesus? I mean, he's just oh, such a way with metaphor, such a way with words. He's like, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Right? You shouldn't have to think about that. You should just know, no, that's not where grapes come from. Grapes don't, they don't, they're not from thorn bushes. Figs from thistles, no, that's not where figs come from. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. I just love the reaction. What is our pastor doing with a machete? I wanted... For this illustration, I wanted to use Briar. His friend went crazy at Christmas time and bought him this gorgeous hand-forged katana sword. It's Damascus steel, tinted blue. He calls it blue steel. It, this is not a Gatlinburg katana. This is a real battle ready. This is how he pitched it to Briar when he brought the sword over for Christmas. This is a real sharp battle ready katana and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I asked Briar if I could use it this morning and he was like, no. <laughs> so I ran out and got a machete. Now watch this. Do some Mr. Miyagi. Man, isn't that awesome? Thank you very much. That wasn't bad. No plastic on the front row. Ron was a little worried about his guitar earlier. Look at this. Everything God creates, he creates with integrity. You have never cut a watermelon open and found banana inside, right? Fruit, all the fruit that God has made, what it says it is on the outside is exactly what you find on the inside. And this should be the life of a Christian man or a Christian woman who we say we are on the outside. If somebody uh, is, is wanting to rip us open or, or look uh, inward at, at who we truly are, they should find what the outside is selling is what the inside, what the substance should be of. 
as Christian people. God loved us. He did everything for us. We have his gospel. We've been atoned from our sins. We've been washed over. Uh, the Bible says that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And just in case you didn't know, that's a long way away. East and west ne never meet up again. It's always you can go east or you go west. That's how far all the shame, all the guilt is absorbed, uh, paid for through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he's loved us in this great way, we should love him in return. Again, we're not talking about works-based salvation. Because you can't earn salvation through work, amen? It is the gift of God. It is grace that God gives that saves us. And because we are saved, we get to devote ourselves back to the Lord. Uh, like David quotes in the Psalms, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Right? There should be some tree hang, there should be some fruit hanging off your tree that says, I am a devoted man of God. I am a devoted woman of God. I get to, I love to serve him and study his word that's constantly correcting me and making me a better man of God, a more complete woman of God, because that's what the word does. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to land this plane with five slides. Peter's preaching this amazing sermon. Joel chapter 2 has just been fulfilled. Right? All the, all the things that Jesus teaches in the Old Testament, he fulfills uh, during his, his first incarnation. Now we have this New Testament that tells us how we are to live as we await his second coming. But this is early. This is early in the life of of the church. I love reading the book of Acts. It's so helpful to know how, what, what did they do? How did they honor God? It helps us to be able to honor God in the same ways today. Peter has preached this awesome sermon about Jesus. Uh, let's read up, start at verse 36. He's finishing up this sermon. Let all the house of Israel for, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he's preaching the gospel. He's telling them who Jesus is. And Israel is freaked out. The people are like, oh, what are we going to do? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Read John chapter 14. Read John chapter 16. Uh, the Holy Spirit is constantly empowering us to make much of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is constantly leading the Christian uh, into, into the ways of God, helping, re recalling God's word, leading us in God's word to deepen our faith, to encourage us in, our, in this gospel that we believe. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many 
other words. He bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And the way they counted in the ancient world in the first century at this time, they, were, they would just count the, the heads of the households. So they were counting uh, the men here. But there's a lot of women, there's a lot of children. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the 12 loaves and the, the couple fish, there's actually tens of thousands of people. They just counted the men, so it's Jesus feeds the 5,000. But people are hearing the gospel and getting saved. Amen? Well, our church actually looks pretty good today. I thought it was going to be a little more light because Nick done took 120 of our people <laughs> for their first service. Gun day school over at the Kennesaw Gun Club. <laughs> They're loving Jesus over there. and Praise God, amen. But healthy churches are growing churches when the gospel is being proclaimed and when people are devoting themselves to the Lord. Uh, God uses these things to bring others in, to teach and to train and to make disciples through our lives, through our loving the gospel and living for Jesus. And that's what we want to do, amen? We, want the out, we don't want it just to say church out there. We want to be the church that Jesus is building, amen? We can't do it. If we're not in his word, what you see in these New Testament churches are people are being saved. People are being baptized. Healthy organizations. We're going to talk about this a little more uh, in the following two weeks. But every healthy, mature organism is able to reproduce itself. That starts with our gathering together as the church proclaiming the gospel and it moves us to devoting ourselves, loving Jesus more and more and more. The more you understand, the more you read about it, and the more you see how beautiful the gospel is, we just love him more and more. Devote, devote, devote ourselves to his kingdom, to his way, to his plan, to his purposes. Because they're better than ours. That's what we learn when we stay in the Bible. So watch this, chapter uh, 2, verse 42. Here's where we get the word devotion from. It comes straight from the text. So what are this new church, all these people are getting saved, they've all been baptized, so what are they doing now? They devoted themselves. There's a, there's a couple things there in Acts 2, 42 they devote themselves to, but the very first one they devote themselves to is the apostles' teaching. What is the apostles' teaching. It is our New Testament that we have. Did you know that this book is unlike any other resource on planet Earth? Every other religious tome is written by a single guy. Right? So we don't know if it was bad pizza, the mushrooms had gone bad in mom's basement that night. All other religious works were written in one time period by one or a handful of people. Not so. This by understand what you've got here before you. This is not just a book, but it's essentially a library. Look at this slide that tells us what the Bible says about itself. No other religious work on planet Earth says this about itself. It's perfect. It's complete. It's the very words of God. My favorite one is Jeremiah. It's the hammer that breaks. 
How many of you, you've been reading God's word and you just feel God uh, fine-tuning and forging your life on, on the anvil of his word? That's what he does. That's what sanctification is. God removing things, pruning you, taking, removing things that don't need to be there and, and making you more complete as a man of God or as a woman of God. No other book on planet Earth says any of this about itself except for our Bibles. And this is not just one book. This is a collection. It's a library. 66 different books written over a period, written in three different languages. There's Hebrew, there's uh, Aramaic, and there's uh, Koine Greek, thanks to Alexander the Great. Our New Testament's written in Koine Greek. It's a common language at the time that everybody had to know to, to buy and sell. 67, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Written by, man, kings got to write some of these books. Warriors got to write some of these books. Fishermen got to write some of these books. Farmers got to write some of these books. God used poets. God, God, God used all kinds of people to write, to hear his word and to, to put them down. I mean, think about this. You know, we were talking a couple weeks ago. I don't remember exactly where we were. Oh, we were talking about Joseph at the end of last year. Joseph was at a prehistory time. They didn't have a, a Bible put together yet. But since Moses, man, well, the, the Old Testament people had these 39 books. They knew that a Messiah was coming. And these 27 books we have in the New Testament, we can know everything that Jesus taught every way, which is, again, the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to do, make disciples, teaching them everything that Jesus commanded. It's all right here. More than uh, around 35 authors that we know of, God used to pen these 66 books. Many of them are, are written anonymously. But we know of at least 35 different human authors. And God used human authors to give us his word. We're going to see in some slides in a second how Jesus affirmed that. Uh, Peter affirmed that. The apostles affirmed that God uses human instruments to do his work and to write his, to, to put down his words for us. This is an incredible, complete, and perfect book. It's infallible and inerrant. A lot of Christians, they've forgotten what those words mean. But this is without error. Nothing in it is wrong. We believe in an inerrant, infallible Bible. Perfect, just like God says it is. Do human scholars make mistakes at times? Sure they do. You can't blame God for that, amen? Well, everything that comes out of God's mouth is perfect and complete and a gift to us. What did the early disciples do? After they got saved, they devoted themselves to studying God's word. Look, we live in a time where people won't have it. Itching ears. Uh, teachers, you know, uh, give me the 20-minute TED Talk that makes me feel like I'm smarter. But we have God's Word. Look how uh, the early church, what they thought of the Bible. Three things on this next slide. No, let's go to the, yeah, how do God's people view Scripture? Jesus said his people, and don't you, you know this to be true because God's word is true. 
but you got some idiot like me up here, and the only reason anything spiritual is happening because God's word is being read off the page. And God does something through his word in the human heart, doesn't he? God's people, he said, they will hear my words. And when we study scripture together, can't you just, you feel it sometimes. Man, that is true. God is speaking to me. That's how God's people have always felt about his word. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. The early church believed the words of the apostles. All those verses there. Right, the early church was, was into these letters that Paul was writing, these gospels that were being recorded by eyewitness accounts of people who were there. That's why one of the reasons I love 1 Corinthians 15, because Paul's like, yeah, if you don't believe me, go ask all the people. Uh, there was more than 500 people. At one time, Jesus showed up in resurrection, power and glory. They're still alive. Go ask them yourselves. We have a high view of Scripture because God's people have always had a high view of Scripture. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it till the day I die. When we read something in Scripture that we don't like, we do not change the Bible. Instead, we change our minds. This is, this is what having a high view of Scripture means that we devote ourselves to because it's a way we can show that we love the Lord Jesus and follow him. Look how the apostles viewed Scripture. They taught these guys, these eyewitnesses that, that brought us these 27 books in the New Testament. They're the ones that told us that all this was Scripture and it was from God. They quoted the Old Testament 300 times in these 27 books of the New Testament. Why? Because they had a high view of Scripture. What God says always comes to pass. Let us show you how Jesus brought it to pass. They claim the authorship is from God through men. God uses fallible men to bring us his infallible word. They claim their writings were the very words of God. Peter calls Paul's writing scripture. Remember, Peter is writing. He's like, hey, you guys listen to Paul now. I know he can be a little hard to understand. You're not gonna, you might not get everything uh, real clear from his writings, but they are scripture and they should be studied. That's what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you've ever been read in Romans and you're scratching your head, just know Peter was scratching his head too. Some of the stuff Paul writes was hard. Paul commands, listen, Paul commands his letters be read in churches and obeyed. This is how they viewed the work that God had them doing that we're still benefiting from all these years later. Look how Jesus viewed Scripture. Jesus accepted the Old Testament without modifications. Look, look, at, look at number three here. When Jesus is talking about Old Testament Bible stories, he doesn't say, well, these are just spiritual things that help us understand spiritual truth. No, he talked about all this stuff as if it were true. Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. True story according to Jesus. Gina's my sister, not according to her. Jesus. Sodom and Gomorrah, Noah and the ark, which they feel like they found Noah's Ark. There's awesome archaeology stuff going on uh, with that stuff right now. Uh, Moses' false prophet Jonah and the whale or the great fish that was prepared by God 
to swallow Jonah. Jesus talked about all these stories, not as if they're uh, Aesop's fables, but he taught them as true, living things that happen. And if Jesus believes it, I believe it. Amen? The purpose of the Old Testament was to reveal himself. Back up to point two. And I love this, man. If you ever read John, John 5 is such a great text just to study. Because the Pharisees, you know, they're doing their thing and they're not listening to Jesus and they're wanting proof that, you know, who he says he is, he, he actually is. And they keep quoting Moses. And finally, it just gets on Jesus' nerves. He's like, you're, you're quoting my word to me through my servant Moses. Okay. He says, listen, if you really loved Moses, you'd love me. Because Moses, everything Moses wrote was about me. Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. We can trust everything that he says and teaches. I got one more slide of how Jesus viewed scripture. They appealed to scripture for truth. Jesus appealed to scripture. He's always quoting scripture. Remember when he's uh, being uh, tempted by Satan? What's he do? He quotes scripture to make Satan stop with his temptations. In crisis, he quoted scripture. He taught scripture could not be broken. Read John 10. This cannot be broken. He acknowledged, Jesus acknowledged that God used human authors. It's not a big deal to him to use human authors. It's still all breathed out by God, regardless who Jesus had writing these words down. This is our Bible. This is scripture. We devote ourselves to God the same way Christians have always been devoting themselves to God by studying every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And when you're reading the Bible and you're finding it hard to stomach, that's when you know God's doing a work. People tell me all the time, you know, I just I don't feel conviction when I read the Bible. And I always say, well, you're reading it wrong. Every time I open this thing, God's saying, you need to change here, you need to do this instead, right? He's constantly working on me because he loves me. And because he loves me, I love him back. What would this life be without the love of God leading and guiding us? It makes me want to serve him better. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 because I want you to see this. And here's where we're going to end. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the Bible, the words of God, and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves not only to God's word, but to each other at the same time. For sake of time, skip down to verse 46. Day by day, attending the temple together. So they had their, go ahead and put up our four points. Because what, what do we do with love? Jesus said, I'm building my church, ecclesia, gathered together people. We still do what they were doing. They had to meet in the temple courtyards because there was no other place big enough for the whole gathering to get there. They gathered together and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the gospel being proclaimed, which is what we do on Sundays. But then there was something else happening here. Because they were devoted to scripture, but they're also devoted to each other. So they, they attended the temple together. 
But then they broke bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. When they weren't all meeting together, they were meeting with other brother and sister Christians, studying God's word and eating together in individual homes. It's what we today call small groups. And some of you, your sphincter just went, because you don't want to talk about small groups. Like me, you might be a little introverted. You might understand you're socially awkward in one-on-one conversations. And sometimes we convince ourselves that we really don't need other Christians. I should have brought that slide with all the one another verses. Because remember, it's impossible to keep all the commands the New Testament gives us and how we uh, devote and love Jesus well. It's impossible to do it by yourself. There's more than 30 one another verses. Love one another. Spur one another on towards uh, good deeds. Encourage one another. There's over 30 one another verses. We need each other. The church has always enjoyed and devoted itself to the large church gatherings, but also to the smaller, intimate moments of studying the Bible together in a home. You know, breaking bread is a big thing in the New Testament. And it's because, man, when you, when you are sharing bread, what you're doing is you're sharing the sustenance and the substance of your very life, your livelihood. You're sharing yourself when you sit across and, and sup with another. Sup's a Bible word. Don't make fun of me. Right? It's, it's an intimate, beautiful thing. And I know so many in this room, you would say, yeah, Brandon, I love the big gathering, but I like to be anonymous. I slip in, I slip out. I don't, I'm not a needy person. I'm on the introverted scale. I don't need other people. Listen, every time I talk to you, when tragedy strikes your life, they always wish they were part of a small group. Listen to me closely. There should be at least five people or five families in this church that would notice if you didn't show up for multiple weeks at a time. The one drawback I hate about a a growing church is sometimes people fall through the cracks and you don't even notice for six months that they stop coming. I hate it when that happens. If something happens to you, there should be five, at least five people in this room that know you. You're known by them and they know you so that nobody falls through the cracks. And and again, this is one of the reasons I love our church. Because whether you're in the hospital, you know, Tim was in the hospital this past week. We're praying for Mike. We're praying for uh, Robbie Nichols, uh, who's who's got surgery coming up. There's a lot of people that, man, sometimes life just knocks the breath out of you. And when people see the breath knocked out of you and show up to lend a hand, to say a prayer, to say, man, I love you. Uh, I'm here for you. If you need anything, we all need that. In a church our side, we have, Nick's gone to Kennesaw, we have five elders 
trying to, to shepherd uh, 800, 850 people. It's an impossible job. That's why small groups are so important, breaking bread together in homes. Yes, we come do big church, uh, and it's exciting, uh, and sometimes homes aren't as exciting. But, man, we still need those small, daily, weekly uh, affirmations and, and coming together. We need one another because when something hits the fan, somebody needs to know about it. Uh, so we can do whatever it is that we can do to help you, serve you, encourage you in the ministry of God's word, understanding God's word more deeply in better ways so that sanctification process is continually happening in your life. We decided here at Four Points the way the early church was doing it in Acts is probably the best way that we can do it. Yeah, we're going to meet in the big group and proclaim the gospel, and it's going to be awesome. But we're also going to move people into small groups. And listen, some groups don't meet in the home. We have forge groups and dwell groups. So if you're super introverted and you're like, you need a baby step, Forge groups, small groups, uh, forge group and dwell groups are smaller groups of men forged, ladies uh, dwell that meet at Starbucks, that meet outside. Some of our guys meet at Cigar Cellar if you're into cigars. You know, there's no verse in here that says don't smoke a cigar. So we were like, okay, yeah, do that. <laughs> I just lost three Baptist families. <laughs> there's a group for you, please. Help us serve you by finding a group that fits your life, that fits your time frames. And yes, let's grow together in God's word, devoting ourselves to him and his word in church. But let's also devote ourselves to the fellowship of knowing and being known. Please, if you're the person that sneaks in and sneaks out and you want to stay uh, that way, please Hear God's word and start doing life with some other people in this church because I don't want you to fall through the cracks. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that, that everything we believe comes straight out of your word. And Lord Jesus, if somebody comes up and they're talking nonsense, we can know when it's nonsense because we have your word to judge everything anybody says through. Father, you've made this so simple and so easy for us to grow. Help us activate that growth, Jesus, by, after all you've done for us, by devoting ourselves to, to your word and your people for continued growth. It's in Jesus' name. And every Christian said, amen. Somebody get some salt and take this watermelon home. <laughs>